Christ. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at uh, one verse to start with, and uh, that will cause us to have to look at the surrounding context as well as the rest of the Bible. So let's stand as we turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith where we read about the um, various heroes in the Christian faith from the Old Testament and are admonished to be people of faith ourselves. I want to call this message Unpopular Fatherhood. Unpopular Fatherhood. Noah did not win any popularity contest, did he? Uh, But Hebrews places him in this hall of faith, in this lineup here. And so in verse 7 it says, By faith Noah, being warned about what was not yet seen, in reverence built an ark to deliver his family. And then by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Father, we thank you for the example of Noah, and I pray that we would see a generation of men and multiple generations of men, even under the sound of my voice, take a stand. Lord, that we might win as many as possible, but certainly have a desire to win our families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I remember uh, those days that I longed to one day be a dad. I didn't realize how many cool points you would probably lose along the way, that it wouldn't always be popular in the world. I remember being a, uh, a seminary student and a student pastor there in North Carolina in the early 1990s, and I was the youth pastor that drove the cool car. I had the cool roommates. Uh, guys in my youth group wanted to go back and meet the guys in my apartment and play tennis and work out and things like that. And in those days, I was in much better shape. I was the quarterback for both teams because you always had to make all games end in a tie when you were a youth pastor, right? And so I was always the quarterback for both teams. And, and uh, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the cool guy. I was listening to all the cool uh, Christian music that was out there. I was introducing our students to people like DC Talk, right? <laughs> and now the kids are like, man, who is that? Um, and so I thought, man, you know, I, I'm kind of the cool guy. And then um, I got married and didn't lose any cool points because Tina was cooler than me to the youth group. And then moved down to Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, became uh, the, the associate pastor, minister of students at a church down there, and uh, became a dad for the first time. Kent was born there in, in, in Wilmington. And uh, not long after he was born, the, after he, before he turned a year old, the next summer, one of my former students was now in Bible college preparing for ministry. I'm so proud of what God was doing in his life. And I asked him if he would be willing to come down and serve as a student ministry intern. And because I was, you know, I was a dad now. I was driving a minivan. I was losing cool points, but I thought, man, the kids will love hanging out with Abe. And so I asked Abe to come down, and he spent a summer as our student ministry intern there in Leland, North Carolina. And, and I'll never forget meeting him at the church, and I get into the minivan. I'm no longer driving the cool car, right? I get into the minivan, and he gets in on the other side, and I'm getting ready to pull out of a church parking lot, and he's just staring at me going, What's, what's, what's the stare for, you know? And he just kept on. He's got this weird stare on his face like, 
Like, he, like it's not even me who's sitting there. Like he's wondering who I am. And it never occurred to me that the whole time he was sitting there while the van was running that a cassette tape was playing. Kids don't know what cassette tapes are either, do they? But a cassette tape was playing, and the song that was jamming in my minivan was The Wheels on the Bus Go Round and Round. (laughs) And I realize I have completely lost all cool points now. I am officially a dad, and uh, there would be uh, years of Cheerios down between the seats uh, in my minivan that I was sporting around that probably had more power than the cool car that I ever had anyway. For a man to choose to be a spiritual leader, he's probably going to lose a lot of cool points as well. For a man to be a servant leader, to honor God, to love his wife, to love his family, to desire for them to know Jesus Christ and to love and serve him above everything else, rarely will make him popular in this culture, rarely makes him cool. Sometimes it even makes a man unpopular with his own family if it's kind of new to them. But let's remember as we Uh, go through this series this summer. Our goal is not to be liked by the world. Our goal is to be like Jesus in all that we do. If you try to find out what fatherhood's all about by turning on your television set, you're going to learn that they have tried to feminize manhood, dumb it down, emasculate men completely, cause us to become passive on the one hand, or abusive on the other, instead of being loving servant leaders in our homes. You'll rarely find that in popular culture, and that causes us to be unpopular. Noah didn't win any popularity contests. He didn't persuade others to flee the coming wrath of God, only his family. He didn't win the world, but he did win his own family, And according to the Scriptures, he also left the world without excuse because of his own testimony and his own witness. You can be a Noah of this generation. I want to be a Noah of this generation. In fact, as I think we're approaching the soon return of our Lord, the Bible says that before Jesus comes back in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself said it would be as it were in the days of Noah. People are going to be living as carefree and paying as little attention. But Noah was that righteous man who had walked with God, and he was prepared for the coming wrath of God. What can we learn from Noah this morning, dads? What can we learn from Noah, family? We can learn, first of all, that Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. I want to be known as a man of God who walks by faith with God. He says in verse 7 that by faith, Noah, he had been warned of those things that had not yet been seen. You read in verse 1 of Hebrews, this introduction to this great hall of faith, that faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof or the evidence of what is not seen. And our children 
can believe in a God whom they do not see when dad trusts in that God, walks by faith, and his life becomes the evidence, the testimony, the proof of things not seen. God is real because he's real in dad's life. He was real in Noah's life who walked by faith. And so Hebrews presents this argument in chapter 11. And it's an argument, as as you read the rest of the book of Hebrews, you see that salvation has always been by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. So even in the Old Testament, the argument from Hebrews is they weren't just saved by keeping the law, they were ultimately saved because they had faith or trust in God's provision and what God was going to do. And their obedience was the overflow or the evidence of that faith. Obedience to the Word is what Abraham was doing, right? When God called him to come and follow him, to move him to a new place, he obeyed God. When God called him to sacrifice his only son up to the point that God would provide the sacrifice there, the, the ram that would take the place of Isaac, then Abraham believed God. It was accredited to him as righteousness. And later, as Moses would bring the law of God, the Word of God, The obedience to that word was a demonstration that, yes, we trust God and we take him at his word, but salvation, again, was ultimately by faith, not by works of the law. And so a key verse here is verse 6 in chapter 11, a key verse for understanding the whole book of Hebrews. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him, whoever comes to God, must believe that he exists and by faith believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That there is a God and that as I seek him, he's going to reward me. Noah was a classic example of that and that's why I believe he, his testimony immediately follows verse 6 in chapter 11. This relationship with God was central in the life of Noah. Now, I want you to hold your place here in verse 7, but turn to Genesis chapter 6, and let's read a little bit about Noah. We won't read the whole story in chapter 6 and 7 and 8, but I want you to go back to chapter 6 and some key verses to understanding what this relationship was all about. Let's start with verse 5. It says, when the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme in his thought was nothing but evil all the time. Sounds like the world we're living in, does it not? It says, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe off the face of the earth man whom I created together with the animals, creatures that crawl, the birds of the sky, for I regret that I have made them. Noah, however, found favor. The grace of God was on Noah's life. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so he was a righteous man who was walking with God, verse 9 says, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah did what? He walked with God. So Noah is a man of faith who walks with God, therefore he is a man who walks by faith in the God who created him, the God who called him, and the God who would give him an assignment, a mission. If you skip on down to verses 13 and 14, you kind of know the story here. But God said to Noah, 
I have decided to put an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. What a challenge. He began to say, I'm going to make a way of escape, but it's going to require you to do something. And so your faith is going to be demonstrated by your action and by your obedience. It's not going to be popular with the culture around you, but you're going to be obedient to me because your goal is not to be liked by the culture, but to be like the God that you're walking with. Now, walk in obedience. And then when you skip on down to verse 22 in this same chapter, Uh, Genesis chapter 6, it says, and Noah did this. He did everything God commanded him. Regardless of what it looked like to those around him, Noah became obedient and did everything God called him to do. He followed God's directions to a T. And that's something that's not always easy for a man to do. How many men here have ever on Christmas uh, you thought, man, I've got to help put this bicycle together, I've got to help put this playhouse together, or whatever, but I don't need directions. I can do it without them. Raise your hand. Anybody ever been guilty of that? And you find that missing part, you find that screw, or you find something else later, and you think, where was this supposed to go? We, men today, and especially the younger men, I'll just go ahead and tell you, you need to thank God for things like Google Maps, Because most of us can remember a time that our wife got upset with us somewhere along the way because we refuse to stop and ask for directions. Are you lost? No, I know exactly where I am. And and so we we don't want to stop. We don't want to lose the, remember those cool points. We don't want to lose cool points because we actually stop and ask somebody at a store somewhere, man, where am I? How do I get to where I'm going? And so now we will Google it, right? And now we look at what Google says, and we still argue with it and say, well, that's not really the best route. Because we have a difficult time accepting directions from somebody else. But the almighty God of this universe who created us and who sees everything past, present, and future and sees all that is in the present simultaneously and knows everything that's going on around us is the one that we have to have wisdom and direction from. He has given us his word, this roadmap for life. But so many times, Dad, we act with God like we do with everybody else. We don't want to stop and take time and just ask God for direction, ask God for wisdom. Walking by faith even goes further than that. I remember when I got a job at Walmart back when Sam Walton was still alive, and we were taught, because he had instructed this to be taught, that if someone comes to your department and ask where to find something that's not in your department, you don't call somebody else, you don't point them in another direction, you walk with them to the other department and find and help them find what they're looking for. You don't typically find that kind of uh, customer service these days, but, but we were warned that, you know, it's when Sam Walton was alive, you could get in trouble if you didn't do it that way. The wonderful thing about a relationship with God is not only does God point in a direction and say, go this way or that that way, God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to give you direction, I'm going to give you guidance, and I'm going to be right there with you along the way. That's what he did for Noah. Noah was a righteous man and he walked with God. 
And so dads, this morning I want to challenge you. Walk so closely with God that your children would never doubt how real God is because they see, you know, dad has taken Jesus by the hand and he's walking with him and he's being guided in all that he does and he seeks to be obedient to God above all else. That resulting character is that man who walks in integrity. Proverbs 20 and verse 7, and his children are blessed after him. As a man walks with God and he walks us in integrity and, and he walks by faith, his children get in on the blessings that God bestows upon that dad. That's key to understanding these next two principles we'll look at. The second one is this. Not only did Noah walk by faith, not only was he a man of faith, Noah warned of future judgment. Not only his family, but everybody else, but certainly his family got the warning. Noah first received the warning from God, if you go back to Hebrews 7, being warned about what was not yet seen. Then out of reverence, he began to build an ark. And so Noah was warned of coming judgment. And he, by faith, believed God, and then he passed that warning on to his family, motivated by godly fear. He began to condemn this world, not just condemning the world for how it was at the time, but leaving them condemned because now they were without excuse because he was a preacher of righteousness, according to 2 Peter 2, 4, and 5. This preacher of righteousness who lived and modeled the faith, lived the example, now was proclaiming to others that they better be prepared for the coming wrath of God. And he did this, folks, for at least 55 years. Now, some people like to say or or, or believe that it took 120 years to build the ark because they interpret in Genesis 6 man's day being upon the earth 120 days as 120 days from when he got the warning, I'm sorry, 120 years, but 120 years from when he got the warning to when the flood was going to happen. But that 120 years really describes that men aren't going to live to be seven or 800 or 900 years anymore. They're only going to maximum live to be about 120 at the very most. So it's describing that the the man's life on the earth will kind of max out. I think the oldest person in the United States today is actually 119 years old. And so that becomes kind of a max for how long you could live your life. We were reminded this morning in our life group that we probably shouldn't call 60 middle age because most of us will never see 120. But what that 120 was, was is that's how long you'll live. But if you look at the age of his sons and the fact that they were around when the warning was given, it probably took at least 55 years, maybe as many as 70 or 75 years, for him to build the ark and preach faithfully the coming wrath of God and warn those around him. And then after that, there would be no more floods. The earth, well, as far as a worldwide flood upon the earth. But we still have a warning in Hebrews, do we not? In in chapter 9, just a few chapters earlier, the author of Hebrews warns that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then what? The judgment. Yeah, it's appointed unto man once to die. That's the statistic that still holds true today. One out of every one die. Only a couple of exceptions so far when we think of Enoch and Elijah. And maybe more when the rapture happens, but for right now, we all face death, and then everyone, even if we are 
uh, snatched out of this world, everyone faces the judgment. And that is why Christ came. And, And so for a father to preach that, to preach a warning, listen, we always want to be liked by our kids, right? And we say, well, I don't care if the world likes me, but I want to be a hero in the eyes of my kids. Sometimes we have an unpopular message even to our own children because we have to warn them that God is a loving God, God is a gracious God, but He is also holy and just, and He is a God who absolutely must punish sin. And that Romans 23 says the wages of sin is death. That bad news precedes the good news of the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because if we don't understand the desperate shape of the bad news, then we don't understand our need for the good news. And so unlike one preacher in North Georgia who said we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, no, no, we need to see the Old Testament as that schoolmaster that drives us to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and our need for Him. And warn of the consequences of sin for all believers. That's the role of a dad. That's the role of our Heavenly Father. And those roles tend to overlap at times. If you look at one chapter past Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 12, you see that dad's role in that becomes an example of what God is trying to do. Look at verses 4 through 11 in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. He punishes every son whom he receives. Endure it as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, some of you had a dad who didn't spank the neighbor's kids, right? Furthermore, some of you had dads that did spank the neighbor's kids, But he goes on to say, furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us when we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I am better today because of my earthly father's discipline, and hopefully I'm a better Christian and follower of Christ because I've got a heavenly father who loves me enough to warn me of sin and correct me. And as a dad, I want to follow in his steps and warn my children of sin and its consequences and the needed Correction needs to be in their lives. Dads are always warning, are we not? People got a kick out of something my wife put on social media this week, but I always warned my kids, you don't play in the road. And so that could get them, well, why would you discipline your kid for playing in the road, right? Because on Highway 98, there are two things that are constants, chicken trucks and logging trucks. And so a little heat to the seat to keep my son from running back toward the road again 
could save his life. It's not something trying to kill his good time, but protect and provide him with the best. Children need to be warned not to make mom unhappy. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so dads learn to warn their kids, don't play in the street. Don't frustrate your mother. Don't trust strangers. We tell our boys there are some girls out there that you just can't trust. Be careful. And then we tell our girls there's not any boys out there you can trust, right? And so dad is always sending out a warning. Don't drive too fast. Look out for deer. Let me know when you get there. Warning after warning after warning. And if we work so hard to warn about temporal things, how can we not warn that there is a loving, gracious God who is also holy and just, and the wrath of God will come upon us if we don't repent of sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ and allow him to change our life. So teach them there is a judgment day. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That sin has its consequences. That it leaves scars. And sometimes, Dad, that means being transparent with your own life and saying, here are some stupid choices that Dad made along the way. And I don't want you to live with the hurts and the scars that I had to live with as a result of those decisions. And so there's a a, a warning of future judgment that must be sounded. Ultimately, that eternal judgment that if they don't turn from sin and self and trust in Jesus Christ, there are eternal consequences. And finally, I want you to see that though Noah didn't win the whole world, and there's a, there's a tragedy in the story, there's also a victory in the story of Noah. Noah won his family. Noah won his family. Go back to verse 7 again. In reverence, he built an ark to deliver his family. And I guarantee you that though it broke Noah's heart to hear the screams of those who were outside the ark, it was worth everything that he had ever done to know that his family was inside the ark. In 1 Peter 3, we read that the Spirit of Christ was in Noah preaching to all of those who were unregenerate at that time, but it goes on to say that eight were saved, Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That made it worth it all. That pictured, according to Peter, what baptism pictures for us, that if you are buried with Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are safe, and you are ultimately saved in Christ. Look at the parallels again as we look back to Genesis chapter 6. If you held your place there, flip back to Genesis chapter 6. Let's just look at a couple of elements in the story here. In chapter 6, In verse 14, God says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it with pitch inside and out. In the Hebrew, that covering with pitch is where we get our word atonement. And it becomes a beautiful picture of the fact that those who are covered with the blood of Jesus, which was shed for our atonement, those who are covered with the blood of Jesus are in Christ, and when God's wrath is ultimately poured out, For all eternity, in the presence of the Lamb, that those who are under the blood of Jesus will be saved, and only those who are atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe that atonement is only limited in application, not availability. It's for whosoever will. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be 
saved. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So see that your family is covered with the blood of Jesus, that they've put their faith in Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. It was covered inside and out. And then notice in verse 16, just one other parallel in this story. It says, you are to make a roof, finishing the size of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. There's a door inside, in the side of the ark. Remember, as we read the story in John chapter 10 of Jesus being the personification of the good shepherd, he not only gave us in John chapter 10 the I am statement, I am the good shepherd, he gave us the statement of what? I am the door. I am the door. If we will believe in him, we will come in and then go out and find pasture. That in and out doesn't mean come in and then leave. It means we would go through that chute. We would go through that door as sheep, and we would be able to find the best things in life that God had prepared for us because Jesus is the door, and he's the way to life, life abundant and life eternal. Now, dads, this morning, I know one thing about dads. (laughs) Sometimes dads are so competitive they drive mom crazy, right? We're competitive in the work world. We're competitive in sports. We're competitive with our kids. We're competitive when we're coaching our kids. Dads are competitive. We like to win. The Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. Now, Proverbs may have been talking about winning favor with people, winning people over to yourself. But under the New Testament, we know that winning souls means winning them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to win my world for Jesus, and I want this church to be involved in touching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I have a greater call than pastoring this church and reaching the world, and I believe that is winning my family. Seeing that my family's on board the gospel ship, that they go through the only door, the Lord Jesus Christ. Noah won his family. Unfortunately, nobody else, but he won his family. And I want to challenge you, men. I want to challenge you, fathers. I want to challenge you, grandfathers. Make winning your family of utmost importance. And out of the overflow of winning your family, you'll be that family I was talking about last week. You'll be that family on mission. It'll never get boring, and you'll be winning your community, and you'll be winning your world to Christ. But start with the home. Be real at home. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, we just thank you for the example of Noah. We thank you that there was a door in that ark and that Jesus Christ is the door today. We know it's a narrow gate and a narrow way. We know it's the only way. But I pray that today we'll see a generation and multiple generations of men rise up to win their families because they walk with God, because they warn of the future judgment. They offer that Christ-like leadership in the home. Lord, we know that doesn't make us popular with our world, but it certainly makes us heroes to our homes. We pray 
and thank you for that in Jesus' name.